0: I don't get a lot of time up here, so I have to use it very, very carefully. There ought to be an equal distribution of time, but there is not. So I want to help you understand the whole of the Scripture. Of course, the Bible starts with God, and, and God created the world, and in the middle of that world, he put a garden and had his image in the middle of the Bible is the cross, and when the new heavens and the new earth come down, Jerusalem returns and lands on the earth, and of course all things will be renewed, and the power of the Holy Spirit will undermine all things. <laughs> and the seraphim have six wings, you have six wings, they don't work right, two are covering, two are covering your eyes, and the middle ones go like this, and they sing holy, holy, holy. All right? What a great day to be a gator. <laughs> <clears throat> I ended up at Windy Gap. I thought I was going with a bunch of people from Chattanooga, but there were a whole bunch of people from Kentucky, and it was just too soon, and it hurt so bad. How in the world do you lose to Kentucky? (laughs) So that's not really it. Um, But Hutch does a great job inviting the children. I thought we'd start with the children. All right, let's Let's start with Little Red Riding Hood. I need something about the story of Little Red Riding Hood from this section. Tell me something you know about that story. How does it start out? What's the initial problem? Do you remember? What? Good. Good. Grandma's sick. All right. Another piece from that section back there. What happens in the story of Little Red Riding Hood? Come on. Don't go into church mode. Look at me and say something. Yes. What? Excellent. Excellent. So there is always in any great story a problem that starts the story. The problem is the grandmother is sick. The rising tension, if the story's told really well, is that little red's going to take her, uh, what is it, this section? Yes, yes, she's taking the basket. Or in another version, she's got porridge because grandma's sick, and so this porridge is going to make her. But in the rising tension of the story, somewhere you ought to see, I don't know, I'm not a very good artist, the eyes of the wolf in the bushes, right? (laughs) Right? All right, another piece from way back there. What else do you know about Little Red Riding Hood? What? She talk to strangers? Yes, she talked to strangers. <laughs> Is there? Let's have this. Thing. Is there any good stranger in the story of Little Red Riding Hood? Yes, yes, yes. The point. I think that's my phone. <laughs> yes, honey. Oh, it's Timo. Where's Tina? I should have you answer Timo. Go away, Timo. Sorry, that's my little brother, the genetic mutant at 6'10 and 300 pounds. So, there's a turning point in the story, and the turning point is the woodsman, and he's got an axe, right? And the woodsman's going to kill the wolf. What else do you know? How does the story end? Like all good stories, what's the ending of the story of Little Red Riding Hood? They live How? Happily ever after, the porridge restores. All right, so maybe we won't do quite the same thing. But there's a way to tell a narrative that happens all the time. And there is a periodic arrogance about us. We think that because we live now, we are smart. And we think that people who lived long, long before, because they were long, long, they didn't even have electricity. They didn't even know what a cell phone was. How smart can they be? We think they're really stupid. Tell me a little bit about what you know about Moses, any piece of the story of Moses' birth. Anybody? Shout it out. Separated the Red sea. What? Separated the Red sea. Good. Moses separated the Red Sea. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? So A little later on, you're all right? It's all right. I know you're a covenant. You've got to be smart. The dumb answer doesn't matter. <laughs> Tell me about the story of Moses. What was his birth like? Anything. Wait till your section comes. (laughs) All right. We'll we'll, we'll give her answer to you. All right. He was born in a basket. Why? Why was he born in a basket? Excellent. Because the Israelite boys were being killed. Who found him? This section. Pharaoh's daughter. All right. Here's a tough question. What was Pharaoh's daughter like? The family that she came from. What was it like? excellent. She cheats. She knows these answers. She's done this before, right? So Moses, well, let's quit playing the game. In the ancient Near Eastern world, the government did not have money. All the money belonged to Pharaoh. You might have some in your possession, but soldiers, armies, whole armies that fought didn't get paid for by the government They got paid out of Pharaoh's pocket. Everything belonged to Pharaoh. Capiz? So when Moses is found by Pharaoh's daughter. Oh, I don't want to ask this section. Who nursed Moses? His mother. Because his sister went to Pharaoh's daughter and said, hey, I know a wet nurse. And so Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. But every night, his mother told him the stories of Yahweh. Now, if Bill Gates' family and maybe Trump or Obama, whoever you want, family, had children that got married, and all the wealth of the Gates and all the social and political power of Trump or Obama came together in a child... Do you think that Moses went to Chickamauga Elementary School? What kind of tutors do you think Moses had? (laughs) Literally the best in the world. We think that we're smart because we live now, and we think that those people back then weren't smart because they didn't even have cell phones. And I'm telling you, Moses was a genius. And when Moses wrote the stories of Genesis, he was using all the ancient Near Eastern understanding of literature and power and purpose. When an artist draws a picture, they use light and color and texture. Rarely, when you look at a really good picture, is the centerpiece right in the center. When you look at a picture and it grabs your heart like a Picasso thing... And you look at it, when you read Picasso in a book, it doesn't do anything. But we got the privilege of going with an artist to New York to see a Picasso and Matisse exhibit. And you come around the corner and a Picasso painting is 40 feet tall. And you walk around the corner, and you step in front of it, and it staggers you. It makes you go back, and all of a sudden you realize what was reduced in a textbook lost all its power. He was an incredible genius. So, even an imbecile like me, artistically, I don't have to know anything by art uh, to get it. He's so incredible that I get it. A piece? And so, Moses is writing the stories of Genesis. To people who are wandering in the wilderness. And they're tired. And they're hungry. And their middle schooler whines and gripes. And their little children are hacked off. And they don't have a very good nursery. And they just want to go back to Egypt. And Moses writes the stories. About going home. I'm going over Jordan. If you really understand the early stories of the Old Testament, you understand that the promised land is the place that's described as the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden is bordered by the Pishon and the Gihon River and the Tigris and the Euphrates. And when you come to Deuteronomy chapter 1, and it outlines Moses is retelling the story of what we're doing on this trip, he says, We're going to that land between the land of the Canaanites and the land of the great river, the Euphrates. And Moses describes the same place that was Eden. A piece? And so we were on this men's retreat and we did this timeline thing. Sorry, I've got to keep my eye on my time. We did this timeline thing to tell our story. And I got these friends. Some of them are my go to guys. Mary who calls them. One of them's name's Robbie. If I call Robbie this afternoon and say, Robbie, I've got to go to Alaska, I need you to go with me, I'll hear him on the phone turn to Mel. And she, he won't even ask. He'll say, Hey, honey, Ted needs me to go to Alaska. I've got to go. If I ask him and I really need it, he'll quit his job and go. When he came to our church, there wasn't spit of him to gather in your hand. And I know his story. I know that his mom was an alcoholic. And he had 14 men that lived in his house when he was a little boy that she asked him to call dad. And I know that she was drunk and I know that those men beat her. I know that he can tell you the story of where he was when the man threw her against the wall in the middle of the night. He had to call his aunt and say... I don't understand what's going on, but you gotta come get us. I've known all those stories. But I didn't know his dad beat his mom. And when we did our timeline things, I'd make the whole trip to the men's trip and back five times over just to hear him again talk about what it means the little boy to watch his dad beat his mom. And I have a different thing in mind. When I sing about going home, and when Robbie's heart breaks because he's got to get from this place that hurts so bad to a place that's really home. So, one more time, what do you know about how the people of Israel ended up in Egypt? What do you know about how the people of Israel ended up in Egypt? It's a little more complicated. Does anybody remember when there were all those brothers? Why did they go down to Egypt? Do you remember? Because there was what? Yes, you got it. Famine in the land. There was famine in the land. And so they all came down to Egypt. They put them out in the land of Goshen. You remember they prospered all over the place in Egypt. And then the Lord wanted to bring them out of Egypt. How did the Lord get the people of Israel out of Egypt? Do you remember? This is an easy one. Children know this. Yeah, the Lord sent sickness and plagues on Pharaoh. All right, you got Hutch, so we'll bring you the more difficult one. How was it when the people left Egypt? What was it like when they left? What did they leave with? You remember? What? Yes. They plundered the Egyptians, they took all the gold, all right? So you got these three pieces? They came to Egypt because there was a famine. When they got released from Egypt, it was because plagues and sickness came on the people of the land, and they left with all the money. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 10, you hear Moses telling the story of Abraham. When Abraham and Sarah came down to Egypt, why did they come? Because there was a famine. So if you were an Israelite and you're reading the story of Abraham and you knew that your ancestors came to Egypt because of famine and you read that Abram and Sarah came to Egypt because of famine, you would go, huh, that's just like us. And when you heard your parents tell the story of the plagues, the blood, the frogs, the flies, the gnats, the death of the firstborn, the death of the livestock, when you heard of all the sickness that fell on Pharaoh's household, and then you read this story that when Abraham and Sarah came to Egypt, the Lord sent sickness on Pharaoh. You would go, huh, this story's just like us. And when Abraham and Sarah left, Pharaoh gave them all his wealth, and they left rich. And you would go, it's just like us. So what I'm trying to get in front of you is that Moses wasn't just writing a story so you would understand the history; he's Picasso painting a picture. So when the original audience reads it, they understand something. When Moses writes in Deuteronomy chapter one, what? Uh, where is Abi? What Abi, though college educated, couldn't finish last week. The Hittites, the Jebusites, remember that, and all those people. Right, Because he's Abi. Those words don't mean anything to him. But if you're the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and you're scared to death with your children and up there on the mountains are the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Girgashites and the Amalekites and they all want to kill you, you would know how to say the name of every one of them. And you would be scared to death. And so the stories of Abraham... I know this is a horrible sermon, right? Let's call it a workshop. That would be a better name, right? (laughs) The stories of Abraham are just like Little Red Riding Hood. In Genesis chapter 12, you get the beginning of Abraham's life and the story. And, And at the end of this passage in Genesis on Abraham, you get his death and his children. And in the rising tension part, In the rising tension part, you get Abraham and the nations. How he was supposed to deal with them. And then Hutch took us to Genesis 15, um, the covenant. Which is the appearance of the woodsman, right? It's the centerpiece, it's the turning point. Genesis 15, and next week he'll bring us Genesis 16. And then you have this falling narrative. How the Israelites were supposed to deal with the nations. And then, of course, the end of his life, right? This is just Moses telling a really great story. And so in just a few minutes, I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis 13 and 14. And clearly, it's such a big passage that we won't do all of it. But the introduction really gives you a lot more of the story so you can actually read it on your own. Genesis chapter 13 is this middle part that tells the story to the people wandering in the wilderness of how Abram, their father, dealt with other people. So Genesis 13:1 says, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. And Abram became very wealthy in livestock and in all silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place and he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Right? All those people in the line of Seth. Right, Cain kills Abel and then Seth replaces Abel. And all of Abram's children are descendants of Seth. Seth is the first one who called on the name of the Lord in those days. This is a note, this is a narrative point. So you'll hear that Abram in the line of Seth is the chosen one, and he calls on the name of the Lord. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tent, but the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between them, Abraham's herders and lots. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. Do You know why it says that? Is that just a dumb line to you? When I was a little boy and I read this story, I would think, who cares? What does it matter that those people were in the land? It matters... Because Moses is telling a story about Abraham and he's connecting it exactly to the people of Israel. The people of Israel are wandering in the land and they're scared to death and the Canaanites and the Perizzites are with sword and shield looming over the top of them. How do you respond when you're in fear of having your stuff taken? What do you do? When you perceive that the tide of circumstances is going against you, what happens when your business, when, when you own Bill's hardware store and, and Walmart moves in next door? I know what you do you hunker down, you close ranks, you tighten up, you take care of yours because you have to. If you don't take care of yours, who will? And right in the presence of the Canaanites and the Perizzites, Abram's stuff is getting too big and Lot's stuff is getting too big and somebody's going to come and attack them. The reason that Moses writes this story, to tell the story of Abraham again, is to say to the people of God wandering in the wilderness, this is what you ought to be like with your neighbors. So Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders or my herders because we're family. Is not the whole land, isn't everything before us? I'll tell you what you pick first. You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. Jesus came and he said, Why do you worry about what you eat, what you drink, or what you wear? Your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. Look at how he clothes the fields, the flowers that are here one day and gone the next. He knows every hair on your head. Dear Christian, you don't have to be a great preacher. To see the application of this passage. Moses writes this story to say to the people wandering in the wilderness, even in the presence of the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, you ain't got to protect your stuff. Your Heavenly Father knows you had need of these things. The natural human response is to look out for me. I've got a great brother. He's been honest with me all my life. I finally grew into adulthood. We started doing some deals together. Before we bought a lake house together, he reached out and he held my hand and he looked me in the eye and he said, if this goes south, I'll take care of me. (laughs) Right? You hear what he's saying? You're my little brother. Time to man up. You need to understand. If this goes south, I have an innate ability to take care of me. Now at least he was being honest. But a five-year-old can understand what Abraham is doing when he says to Lot, you pick. Dear friend, when was the last time you had a choice? Stuff that you wanted and you turned to the other person and you said, here you pick. You can't do that unless you really believe that God loves you and he's going to take care of you. And all the stuff he's given you, he's given it to you for the service of somebody else. So we've gone at this pretty long and pretty hard. Let's jump to uh, Genesis 14. Genesis 14. Because I don't want you to think that it's enough to be neutral or even not to be possessive. You understand? Abram said to Lot, you go right and I'll go left. He sort of without investment said you pick first and I'll take the other land. And I want you to know that's not enough. And so Moses tells this story in Genesis chapter fourteen, at that time, when Amraphel was king of Shinar and Ariot king, I'm just like uh, Abi. I can't read this either. Right when those kings were around, right, verse five. In the fourteenth year, those other kings called with them and went out and defeated the Rephaites. and the Ashurites and the Canaanites and the Zuzuites and Ham. Then they turned back and went to those other places. And then the king of Sodom. Verse 8, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Aduma, the king of Zebon, the king of Bala, marched out and drew battle lines in the valley of Sidom. The four kings, verse 11, seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abraham, the Hebrew. Now, Abraham was off in the place where Lot had not picked. He was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Amner, all of whom were allied with Abraham. And when Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called 318 men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So for the sake of the time, I'll just let you read it on later. But I want you to see that Moses tells these stories, first of all, to say to the Israelites, even in the presence of our enemies, we ought to be open-handed with other people. But it's not enough merely to be open-handed. You understand? Abraham could have sat over here and looked over there at Lot and said, man, that's a crapper for him. Those kings kings beat the stuff out of him, and they took all this junk. But Abraham took his men, and Abraham went down, and Abraham said, I'm not going to let that happen to them. The community that I came from the newspaper, Christmas time, opened up on the front page, has a black lady in front of a trailer that's burned down, and all her stuff is out on the street. And the story basically said this trailer caught on fire, and this is not going to have any home for Christmas, and she has these grandchildren that live with her. I grew up in a great town. I love the town that I grew up in. This was in Ocala, where we ministered, and it's a special town. 74 and 75 they won back-to-back state football championships and everybody my age measures themselves by where they were when the whole city came to watch them play football and you get one of those guys you get all of them and he opened up the paper and he saw that black lady and her grandchildren out on the street and he said this doesn't happen in my town and he called his buddy, one of the other football players, from a long time ago. He said, hey, I'm coming to your place of business, and I'm going to take all your cash. Be ready. Get as much as you got. Drove in. Walked past the secretary. Hey, i got to go see the owner. Walked in and said, all right, give it to me. Whatever you got. Come on. We're going to Tommy Craggs." Went to Craggs Construction. Walked in. Tommy, we got to have all your cash. Whatever you got in your petty cash drawer. we got to buy this lady a trailer today. By the time they got done, they had three suburbans full of grown men descending on all their friends, walking into their place of business. Hey, I don't care what your company's doing. Shut it down. We need cash. We're going to buy this lady a trailer today. Because this doesn't happen in our town. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want to live in a place like that? Don't you want to be one of those kinds of people? Right? you got to start coming to Sunday school. Right? Who is there? Did you see it this morning? Right here on the screen. In the Bible Project, they talked about the story of Abraham and the story of the people of Israel in Egypt. They talked about how the plagues was the same as the sickness. It went by fast. I had to change my whole sermon. I'm making this whole thing up just out of Sunday school. (laughs) I know you couldn't tell that. So, just one application. Won't you bow your head and ask your Holy Spirit to make you the kind of person who not only says, you take right and I'll take left, and is free with their stuff, but actually goes out and cares for the lost. Lot's not in the family of promise. Does that bother Abram? you got to put your stuff at risk for your neighbor. Frankly, that's what we hear here every single week. We're here for Dade. Whatever Dade costs us. Whatever Dade... Here's your homework assignment. Watch the U. 30 for 30. Melvin Bratton. He says to the Miami Hurricanes... Today's the day of the national championship. You got to give an arm, give an arm. You got to give a leg, give a leg. Today's the championship. We ain't going back. It's the greatest speech ever given The you, 30 for 30. Jesus, through Moses, says to the people of Israel, when your neighbor is threatened, you got to give an arm. Give an arm. you got to give a leg. Give a leg. But you don't sit by and let your neighbor go down without a fight. Luke says, and I don't know what this means, neither do any of the other commentaries. It's not that I'm just not that smart. We're all not that smart. But Luke says in this little verse, the kingdom of God is, comes with violence and violent men lay hold of it doesn't mean we're bloodthirsty means when you come into the kingdom of god you are necessarily united to a charge to serve other people and to lay your life down father in heaven we're grateful for this time for the opportunity to sing for Mark and these guys that call us to worship and give a taste of your holiness, what a privilege to walk with Hutch and Ashley and their family. And every week, Lord's Day by Lord's Day by Lord's Day, he tries in a thousand different ways to express his heart for this community and for our neighbors. Who hasn't heard a hundred times that grace is for Dade that we're the, we're the only organization that spends ourselves on people who are not members of us, but for others. And so Lord, for these dear folks, as they stumble across great narrative stories in the Old Testament, would you, by your Holy Spirit, give them a sense of exactly what Moses meant to say to the people wandering in the wilderness. And exactly what Jesus means to say when he says the greatest commandment is to love your Lord your God with all your heart and the second is like unto it that you would love your neighbor as yourself so we ask O oh Lord that you would make us kind of people like that we pray these things in Jesus name amen